0: Good morning, everyone, and I am glad each one of you are here on this Palm Sunday, and I think the Lord has some uh, uh, wonderful things to share with us. I want to mention first that uh, next week uh, on our Resurrection Sunday, Christ is Risen, we're going to be having an Easter brunch at 1015, so we encourage everyone to come. There's going to be pancakes, sausage, cheesy eggs, and yogurt, parfait, coffee, and juice. Doesn't that sound good? So next week... Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Father, we come before you in Jesus Yeshua's name, thanking you so much for the power of the Holy Spirit who is able to give us wisdom and also fill us with the knowledge of yourself. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would be at work this morning to encourage us, to reprove us, and also to give us victories. And I ask, Father, if there be any here this morning that don't know you Maybe this would be the day of their salvation. Something would be said or spoken that would encourage them to commit their life to you. And now, Father, I pray for your anointing and for your blessing because, believe me, on my own, I'm so aware of my lack. But, Father, in you I have all things. And so anointing use me to minister to these, your precious people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Uh, Pastor Frank and I are doing a, a, a little deviation from our normal, uh, normally going right through the Bible for Palm Sunday and for Easter. And so we're starting off this week, of course, with uh, Palm Sunday. And I'm going to be talking about why Jesus had to come into Jerusalem in what we call the triumphant entry, Palm Sunday. And Pastor Frank uh, Jr. is going to be talking about the crucifixion. And then next week, of course, we're both going to be speaking on the resurrection. You know, it's so funny, you'll have people that'll say, prove the Bible to me. If you can prove the Bible to me, I'll believe. Well, the portion we're going to cover this morning is one of those things that proves the Bible so emphatically that you would have to willfully choose not to believe in order to remain in your ignorance. Because this portion, I believe, is one of the most amazing portions we, we study in Scripture. And uh, what Jesus did, we all know, was to fulfill prophecy. And the fact that fulfilled prophecy is so important is because God knows the very end from the beginning. Scripture tells us that. As a matter of fact, uh, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names, have uh, whose, all? Let me see. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That doesn't seem right. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have been written in no have not. Okay, what's that? Yeah, I knew that. I went over this so many times and I got all messed up. Thanks, bud. And anyway, the point I'm getting at is the fact that people will know he is God and they will worship him. And then moving on to Romans 15, 4, it says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And then if you combine that with Isaiah 42, 9, behold, the former things have come to pass. And... Uh, new things I declare before they spring forth I tell you of them. And so the whole idea is that God tells us prophetically what's going to happen before it occurs. And that is to show us that everything else in the Bible he says is absolutely true. There's no other religious book in the world, whether you're talking about the Bhagavad the Quran, or any other uh, religious book has prophecy in it. And the reason no other religious book has prophecy in it is because it's not divinely inspired. And you see, if you're reading a book and a book says such and such is going to happen and it never happens, then you take the book as being false. You don't believe it, which is right. But the Bible, being one-third prophecy, tells us way in advance things that are going to happen so that when they do happen, we know this book is true and trustworthy, one that we can believe and um, Jesus entering Jerusalem and what we call the, you know, the triumphant entry, you know, the Passover, um, when Jesus came in to reveal himself to Jerusalem is such a fulfillment of prophecy, it's absolutely mind-blowing as we're going to uh, look at in just, a, in just a moment. Now, what's interesting is that for the Passover, the lambs that were to be sacrificed for the Passover sacrifice, were, um, they were actually set apart on the 10th of Nisan, and that is the day that we call Palm Sunday. And that's very significant, because the Passover lamb was taken and set aside and observed for four days, which we'll talk about a little bit later, to make sure that the lamb was perfect, without any blemish. Now, the Passover lambs were brought into Jerusalem, as I mentioned, on the 10th of Nisan, and uh, the very purpose was to be inspected by the people to be inspected that it was a lamb without blemish. And I'd like you to turn with me to Zechariah. We're going to be moving around a little bit to some Old Testament and New Testament prophecies. Turn to Zechariah 9:9. In Zechariah 9:9 it says, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Ju- Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you; he is just and having salvation." having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fall of a donkey. So that is a very specific prophecy in Zechariah telling us that the Messiah, Messiah was going to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey, the foal of the colt of a donkey. Very specific. And it's telling us that he has salvation that he's bringing with him. And outside of Jesus Christ, of course, no one can be saved. In the Bible, salvation is described in two different ways. There's salvation from catastrophe, from difficulties that we might be facing, but there's also salvation of the soul, where sin is forgiven and we're brought into right relationship with God. In this portion of Zechariah, that's what it's talking about, the second, the latter, our souls being saved, our sins being forgiven. Now turn to Isaiah 51, six. Very interesting. Isaiah 51, 6. Isaiah 51, verse 6. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Now, that's an amazing enough scripture to begin with because it's telling us this earth is going to grow old and it's not going to exist any longer. That's why God will be creating a whole new heaven and the earth. But then it goes on to tell us, but my salvation that he's going to bring is forever. Now, what's interesting is that the Hebrew word that is used for salvation there is Yeshua, And you know what Yeshua is translated? Jesus. And I shall bring my salvation. I shall bring Jesus. And anyone who believes on Jesus shall have eternal life. Now, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the very day that we call Palm Sunday is such a specific fulfillment of prophecy that no one can study it and not believe the Bible to be wholly true. So I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, Old Testament prophet. Daniel chapter 9, go to verse 25. This prophecy is absolutely so amazing. As I said, there's no way you can reject this prophecy except out of a willingness not to want to believe the truth. Daniel 9, starting with verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, in the Hebrew, it's talking about sevens of sevens. In other words, it's week of years. So when it talks about the seven weeks, it's talking about 49 years. And when it's talking about the 62 uh, weeks, it's talking about seven times 62, which we'll get into in a moment. And so, the streets shall be uh, built again, and the wall, even in troublesome time. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come, that's talking about um, the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war of desolations are determined." Then he shall confirm a covenant, the Antichrist, with the many for one week, what, seven-year period, the tribulation, but in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination he sh- uh, shall be built one who makes desolation, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out uh, on the desolate. Now, see, it's interesting Because God has had an eternal plan for you and I as believers, for our salvation, for the promise and hope of the future. You know, We all recognize the fact that our physical lives are very delicate. They're not going to last. Every single one of us are going to come to a place where we die, barring the rapture, where God calls his church out of the world. But there's going to come a time at the end when God's wrath is poured out on this earth. And Scripture is very clear that God hasn't appointed you and I as believers to wrath, but to salvation. So we're going to be saved. We're going to be taken out of the world. And God's wrath is going to be poured out for a seven-year period. And during that time, the Antichrist, who's going to rise up, and he's going to receive all the power of Satan, in the midst of a treaty that he makes for seven years, he's going to break it. Why? Because he wants to be worshipped. The thing Satan has always wanted is to be worshipped. And remember what Satan you know, said to, to Jesus, even in the temptation in the wilderness, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all this. It's mine to give. And Jesus said, I, you know, you worship the Lord your God and him alone, Begone, Satan. And so in the very end, we find Satan doesn't give up. He still wants to have people worship him. But as we study the book of Revelation, we find that his efforts are fruitless. And in the end, God stands on the earth and proclaims the victory. And we have one millennial, 1,000 years of peace on earth. And I'm going to share with you some intriguing fulfillment of this prophecy that we just read in, in Daniel. But to fully understand this prophecy, if you're a reader, I'd encourage you to pick up the book, The Coming Prince by Sir Robert Anderson. Sir Robert Anderson was the chief investigator of Scotland Yard during the Jack the Ripper case, and he was brilliant. And he wrote a book, The Coming Prince, which is all about what I'm sharing here with you in exact detail. He was a, he was a brilliant man. Now, understand, when Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, it was exact prophecy fulfilled on the very day prophesied more than 490 years earlier. When Jesus came in, it wasn't just, hey, what's going on? What's, this is weird. It was the exact day of prophecy that the Messiah would come. And this would have been on our calendar, March 14th, 445 B.C. That's important to remember. Because 77 weeks of years would be 490 years. That's the full amount. Now this, this prophecy of the 49 weeks of years is broken down into three groups, if you recall what I just read. The first uh, seven weeks, or 49 years, was at a time that the uh, streets of Jerusalem would be rebuilt and the walls would be rebuilt. And remember the king, Artaxerxes, he gave Nehemiah permission. Nehemiah was his cupbearer. And he saw a sad face, and he asked him why. And he said, I'm, you know, I'm here, and my city is in ruins. And uh, Artaxerxes, really led by the Lord, gave Nehemiah permission to take a group and go back and to rebuild the streets and to build a wall in Jerusalem. And it would be during a time of trouble, which it was. So that prophecy was fulfilled exactly. And guess how long it took to rebuild the walls and the roads? 49 years. The seven sevens that are mentioned first. And then, it would then be 62 sevens, or 430 more years after the rebuilding of the streets and the walls, that the Messiah would come on a donkey, the colt of a donkey. In other words, it would be a total of 483 years from the decree of our for the, that the Messiah would come in. It would be exactly 483 years from Art Xerxes decree to allow Nehemiah to go back and rebuild Jerusalem that the Messiah would come in in what we call the triumphant entry. And so this coming, if we follow this calendar, this coming of the Messiah would take place on April 6, 32 AD. And guess what? That's the exact date that Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem on what we call the triumphant entry. It was prophesied more than 490 years earlier, the exact day, not the month, not the time, the exact day that the Messiah would enter in, and that is when Jesus came. Now go to Matthew chapter 21. I mean, you guys see, understand how absolutely amazing this is? I mean, you've got Daniel giving a prophecy... Then the prophecy is fulfilled in the book of Nehemiah when Artaxerxes gives him permission to go back and, and rebuild the streets and the wall in troublesome times. Remember, they had to build with one hand and the sword in the other. It was troublesome times. Prophesied exactly. And then, 483 years later, it was prophesied on that exact day when the Messiah would come in, which was the exact day when the Messiah came in. Now, in Matthew 21, go to verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem, and they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go in to the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. Now, it's pretty, I mean, you're going to go in and take some guy's donkey, and the the foal of that donkey, and they say, What are you doing? The Lord has need of it. Well, it's Koryos in the Greek is the word that is used there for Lord, and it literally means God or Yahweh. So he wasn't just saying some guy. He's saying God has need of it. And, of course, what does it tell us after they they said that? Um, And immediately uh, he will send them. And this all was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the prophet, saying... Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. Now go down to verse 9 in this, in chapter 21 of Matthew. Then the multitudes went out before those who followed, cried out, then the multitude went out to those who followed, cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They were declaring him as the Messiah. They were declaring him as the Lamb of God. Don't be mistaken, just thinking this was some silly saying that they had. They were boldly saying, this is the Messiah entering in. In verse 10, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? See, this wasn't just some guy riding in on a donkey on a particular Sunday that everybody's saying, oh, what's this? Who is this? Because they recognized the fulfillment of what was taking place. So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And, of course, there's one more seven-year period that is mentioned in this prophecy of Daniel, but that takes place during um, what we call the tribulation. On the day the church is raptured and on the first day the tribulation begins, that last seven weeks will start being fulfilled. And we won't be here. We're going to be with the Lord. And it's so amazing how people say, I, I, I have a hard time believing that. Well, you have a hard time believing it because it's future. And guess what? People had a hard time believing that the Messiah would come in to Jerusalem riding on the colt, the fall of a donkey, at the exact day that was prophesied over 490 years ago they had a hard time believing that but guess what had happened and the same thing is true when it comes to the rapture before God's wrath is poured out on this earth he's taking his church out his bride pray that you're counted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon the face of the whole earth and we are going to escape as believers we're going to be taken to heaven Now, something very interesting to add at this point, I think this is really interesting. Unlike other animals, sheep only give birth once a year. Did you know that? Only once a year. And uh, what is called the lambing season. And this would be in our mid-March, April. And during that time, the sheep could not be kept in pens, because of the very fact that they needed the space and the quiet for birthing and so forth, and they needed to be separated. That's why they were out of biting in the field, which is March, April time period. That's when the lambs are born. And um, the lambs used for the Passover sacrifice, in, um, that were used in the Passover sacrifice and were used for all for the Passover, those lambs had to be born in Bethlehem. Did you know that? Those lambs had to be born in Bethlehem. Now, in Exodus chapter 12 if you want to go to that in verse 3 <clears throat> Exodus chapter 12 verse 3 Exodus 12:3 Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Now go down to verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now um, you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on, the door po- on two doorposts and the lentils of the house where they eat it. Now, it's interesting because um, this is telling us the fact that it was the 10th day that the, you know, the lamb was presented. And on the 14th day, it was put to death for the sacrifice of the people, the forgiveness of sin so that the death angel would pass over. That's why they call it the Passover. And um, so as the shepherds were abiding in the fields, that was also the time when Jesus was born. Remember? The shepherds were abiding in the fields. Remember, for lambs, only one time a year. And so it's very likely. I mean, understand we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, and that's fine because it's when the world celebrates it. It's an opportunity for us to share our faith and so forth. But in reality, Jesus was more than likely born on the same day he was crucified. He's born in the, in the spring, March, April. And um, here's a quick summary. Yeshua, Jesus, then stayed in Jerusalem until he died on Passover. After he entered in, he stayed there until he died and resurrected on the Feast of First fruits. That's when the resurrection took place. So the first of the fruits of the ground celebrate the rising of the Messiah from the ground. I think that's why spring is such an exciting time. You see those flowers come up and it reminds us of resurrection. Now Bethlehem was a small Jewish town five miles from Jerusalem. And the sheep that were sacrificed um, for the Passover and also for, the, the, for, the sin in the, for sin in the temple could not be born more than five miles from the temple. And Bethlehem is five miles Uh, from um, the temple. Now, Bethlehem means house of bread. So the living bread was born in the house of bread. Isn't that amazing? Uh, In John, if you want to turn to that, chapter 6... And it's interesting because Bethlehem, if you're pronouncing it in the the Hebrew, it's Bethlehem, and it literally means house of bread. And uh, so keeping that in mind that Bethlehem literally means house of bread, in John chapter 6, starting with verse 49, and Jesus is speaking to the people, and he says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. He was talking about himself. I am, he makes it clear, the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, I will, uh, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. He died on the cross. He gave himself that you might eat of that bread and have eternal life. You know, all the sustenance of this world is only temporary because we're eventually going to die. But the bread that God gives us is eternal life. We're born again of the Spirit. We have that assurance in the Lord. And so what makes Bethlehem so unique, aside from the fact that where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. Where were the Passover lambs? Where did they have to come from? Bethlehem. So it wasn't just a coincidence that he was born in Bethlehem, it was prophecy from many, many years past. Um, is the fact that the lambs born and raised in Bethlehem were used for the temple sacrifice and the Passover, according to the rabbinical writings. The shepherds in charge of these special sheep, these were special sheep that were raised just for the Passover, and the shepherds in charge of them were Levites, which is very unusual for shepherds. And they were called Levitical shepherds or shepherd priests. Now, their job was to raise these sheep, these animals um, that were healthy, only the ones that were healthy and without blemish and pure for the very purpose of the temple sacrifice on Passover. That was their job. Now, what's interesting is these lambs that the shepherd priests, these Levitical shepherds were raising... These lambs, when they were born, they would inspect them to see if they were without any blemish, blemish, and then they would wrap them in swaddling cloths so that they could not be defiled, and then they would lie them in the manger, the feeding trough, until they calmed down. If that's not amazing, I don't know what is. In Luke 2.21, 2.12, I'm sorry, it says... And this is a sign to you. Remember the angels uh, talked to the shepherds out in the field. These would have been the shepherds of Bethlehem. It very specifically tells us that this would have been the Levitical shepherds, the shepherd priests who were raising the Passover lambs. And that's when the angel spoke to them and he said, and this is a sign to you, you shall find a babe wrapped in swatting cloths and lying in a manger. So the angel is giving the shepherds two signs that would have been amazing to them, that this baby would be wrapped in swaddling cloths, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, and lying in a manger. And so the shepherds knew that they were not going to see just any baby. When the shepherds came to the manger where Jesus was laid, they know they knew they were going to see the newborn lamb of God, the lamb of God. And it's absolutely amazing. And that's why they worshiped him. They knew that he was the promised Messiah, the suffering servant of the Lord. They knew it. You ever wonder about that? How the shepherds said, well, let's go find this. And then when they saw him, they just fell down and worshipped because they knew prophecy was being fulfilled exactly. I don't think there was a golden halo like in pictures. He would have just looked like a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, But they knew the fulfillment of prophecy, and they fell down and they worshiped him because they knew who he was. And it's interesting. Remember what John the Baptist said? This is found in the Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, and in your Bible, that's a capital B, and it has quotes around it because uh, it's taken from a Greek word that means... um, more than we can say And behold, it means, behold, pay attention, this is important, behold. And he was looking at Jesus and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How absolutely amazing is that? Because every one of us, unless we have a, a very easy time lying to ourselves, we recognize that we're all sinners. For all, and who's included in all? All. All. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the free gift, how much does a free gift cost? Nothing. It's free. It's eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the reality is, you talk about the amazing promise of God that we can take our sin and lay it before the precious Lamb of God and ask for His forgiveness, and He will wash us clean. By his own blood not in a literal sense in a spiritual sense he washes us clean that we might be as white as snow and pure and ready to serve him and it's so wonderful that that sacrifice is continuous you know the reality is that he we need to take up our, our cross our daily scripture says every day we take up our cross every day we have to say God here I am a sinner use me fill me with your Holy Spirit and it's such a wonderful thing to know that he does because I don't know if there's ever a day that I go to bed at night and say, Well, you know what? This has been a perfect day. I never sinned once. I never said a wrong thing. I never thought of a, r- a wrong thing. I've just been perfect. I ate exactly where I should. I worked out. I did everything. I'm just a perfect. I've never gone to bed and said that. I've gone to bed many nights and said, Oh, <laughs> you know. And uh, that's why the. the Grace of God is so important because every single time we confess and repent, he forgives us and purifies us from all unrighteousness, Scripture says. And this is the promise that we have. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Until you and I leave this body and we're with Jesus in our glorified bodies, we are so subject and prone to the flesh and to sin. And one of the greatest victories we'll experience and know when we have our glorified bodies and when we meet the Lord in the air is the burden of sin that we don't even recognize how much it weighs us down, will be gone. Totally gone. When the Lord sets you free, you shall be free indeed. We'll be freed from all of the bondage of this world, from all of our sin, and just worshiping God forever. Now here's a few things to think of as we close. The tenth day, the first day of the month, Nisan, is when all the Israelite families would take a lamb into their house for the purpose of inspecting it for four days to see if there was any blemish. And so four days before the Passover, the Lamb of God was brought into the Father's house, Jerusalem. And if you recall, if you read your scriptures, he was inspected for four days. They questioned him. They asked him this, they asked him that. He was inspected for four days, and they found no wrong in him. And... This is the day when he first came in. Is what the Christians call Palm Sunday, when the lamb was brought in for inspection. It's absolutely amazing. Now, four days later, after the triumphant entry, four days later after they would take the lamb and inspect it for any default, they had to they had to inspect it for four days. For four, day, four days later. On the third hour, the the priest tied the lamb to the altar. Didn't kill him at that time, but tied the lamb to the altar. On the third hour, on the 14th day of Nisan. On the third hour, on the 14th day of Nisan, Jesus was nailed to the cross. You tell me that's a coincidence? On the same day, okay, um, for six hours, the Passover lamb was tied to the altar for six hours. Jesus was nailed to the cross before death came. And on the ninth hour, the priest would go up and slay the lamb that was going to be slain for the Passover. And at that same moment, that same moment, Jesus cried out on the cross, It is finished. The very purpose of the sacrificial lamb was for the sin of the people but it was only temporary. The very purpose of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, is also for the forgiveness of sin, but it's for eternity when we confess our heart and life to him. And so, the last details of his death, in the last details of of his death, Jesus fulfilled prophecies concerning the Messiah, verifying that he was, as John the Baptist claimed, the sacrificial lamb of God. Now, understand this. Salvation does not come uh, from the life of Christ, but from the death of Christ. Salvation is not learning lessons from the life of Christ, but receiving life from the death of Christ. You know what I'm saying? So many people, I just want to go around imitating, imitating Jesus. No, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit work through you. It's not a matter of imitating Jesus. It's a matter of you being made alive and made new in Christ. And then the Holy Spirit directs and guides you on what you should be doing or not doing. And um, when I see here, you know, the, the blood of, of the Lamb being poured out, I think of Exodus where they put the blood on their, door, you know, their, their doorpost and the doorposts and the lentils of their house and the angel of death would pass over When the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to our heart through confession and repentance and receiving him as our Savior, the angel of death passes over us. If you're born again, you'll never die. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes in me never dies. That is an amazing promise. You think about it. Men do all they can to hang on to life that they cannot keep and they ignore real life that is eternal you know what i'm saying i mean there's nothing wrong with trying to be fit and to eat right and to you know we're so, this is the the temple of the holy spirit we're supposed to take care of ourselves but there's so many people they're so oh i gotta do this i gotta do that i got you know i i want to be a hundred and still look pretty good you know that kind of thing you're gonna die eventually so you're doing all you, th- all you can to live, and you're going to die. But if you die to yourself and are made alive in Christ, you never die. Literally never die. Because the essence of who you are is not your body, but it's your soul and spirit. And the soul and spirit can't die. They're immaterial. They can't die. And those who die before the, the rapture of the church... Their bodies are put in the ground, but their souls go to heaven to be with Jesus. And then when it's time for the rapture, Thessalonians makes it clear that, that He, God will bring with Jesus those who have died in him, their souls. And then their bodies, the dead in Christ will rise first. Their bodies will be raised from the ground, glorified like Jesus' glorified body, reunited with their souls. And those of us who remain are still alive, shall so we're not going to change We're not going to die, but we shall be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, and we'll be caught up together with those who have gone before us to meet the Lord in the air, and there we shall be with him forevermore. It's amazing how anyone can look at the prophecies fulfilled in the the triumphant entry, in, in the fact that Jesus Christ came in fulfilling all prophecy on the very day. I mean, can you imagine and, and and they knew this. You know, any of those who study scripture, they knew the day. This is the day. And he told, he held them accountable that they should have known it. Well, for the rapture, we didn't we weren't given a time period. We we, you know, it wasn't like 3,240 years later. It was nothing like that. But it tells us that after the prince who would come and destroy Jerusalem, you know, the, Gent- the Romans, and, uh, and destroy Jerusalem, not leaving one stone laid upon another, then it tells us that the ministry is going to leave the hands of the Jews and go into the hands of the Gentiles, what we call the church. But then there are prophecies that give us a general time period, and that is when Israel would become a nation when you see the fig tree blossom, Israel's is always described as the fig tree. May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. When you see the fig tree blossom, that generation shall not pass until all these things have been fulfilled. So to say we're at that time when this last week of Daniel's prophecy is going to be fulfilled, we're in that time. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. Scripture says that we don't. But it, Scripture holds us accountable to know the season. And brothers and sisters, we're in the season. Look at the world around us. This world is not what you and I remember. This world has changed. And those of us that are older, we recognize how much this world has changed. We used to get on an elevator And they had elevator operators in those days. We used to get on an elevator and take off our hat if there was a woman in the elevator. Take off your hat, now she's probably punching the nose. You know, what are you doing? What are you doing that for? It wasn't a matter of men thinking they were better. It was the kind of respect that God gave men to have for women and the kind of respect that women were to have towards men. But now it's completely blended. You can have men and women together, and they talk like a bunch of truck drivers both men and women the world is at a place where the salvation of Jesus Christ is at hand and you and I have to be ready and the only way we can be ready is by being born again and being born again of the spirit is not some magic thing it's not some you know philosophy that you have to study in order to adhere to it's the simplest thing in the world it's recognizing you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ died for your sin. And asking God to forgive you. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Then ask him to come into your heart and to take over. And you'll be a new creation in Christ. And have the assurance of eternal life. That no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in your life, you have a promise that seal in heaven that you're going to be with Jesus one day and with all those you love that are believers as well. What a blessing. Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture that we studied, and I ask that you would use it to minister to us and to encourage us in our walk with you, recognizing how exact prophecy is. And the very fact that you tell us in your word prophecy is given that we might believe the rest of the Bible. And so help us, Lord, to believe what we know to be true. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.